0: This episode of Laser Time is brought to you by Quip, the elegant oral care solution, and you can go to tryquip.com/lasertime to get $10 off refills. time and you are there. I don't have a good intro for this episode Mm -hmm. at all. Uh, The internet's 15th leading pop culture show. We've shot up because I think this is a real good episode because I was really excited to prepare it. Hi, I'm one of your hosts Chris Antista. Who else is with me? This is Sam. It's me Sarah. Yeah and the topic I wanted to talk about this week was documentaries. Don't leave yet kids. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, This is going to be cool because documentaries specifically about movies. Mm -hmm. Singular movies. Like when a movie is so important or Fucked up in some cases That they get a whole documentary Based on them But I am I, I did do this for a reason Begin Leftist screed. Uh Michael Moore's documentary Is out uh, This month And I cannot wait To see it Sammy knows I've been into Michael Moore For a really long time Yeah And it, this is not even Political to say Everyone hates him And he's a big Controversial dude When he makes a movie And then three years later Those are the subjects We're talking about mm-hmm. He was right about The housing crisis Healthcare veterans treatment guns trump and he was all he's
1: He's right. right about everything. He's always
0: been right in the whole world. It takes the world a little while to catch up and I love that dude. Uh, and this movie, I don't know. I don't know if it's crazier than the stupid Bob Woodward book but like it's always fun to hear more negative shit about our mad king. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is it fun? Eh, but that, a certain kind of fun. That
0: made me think of this because like I, don't, I haven't been to a documentary in the theater in a while. We got fucked over for seeing Mr. Rogers, yeah. the the. Won't You Be My Neighbor doc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I can't wait to see it. See a doc in the theater every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Even though like Dude, your cup runneth over with Netflix and Hulu at this point. Yeah, and and shit like this should only become more prevalent because I have enjoyed some of these more. Let, I'll let Abed explain.
2: Ever seen Hearts of Darkness? Way better than Apocalypse Now.
0: Uh, yeah, Hearts of Darkness. I will watch before Apocalypse Now. And mm. That's that'll mm. be the first one we talk about because it's just about how nuts it is, and I watched it with you guys. And that movie is fun as fuck. And my generation doesn't have the same connection with Apocalypse Now. I understand why it's important and why it's really cool. And I remember renting Apocalypse Now. You didn't go through this, Sammy, but like uh, every once in a while you have like a slumber party, and your parents like lessen some rules. For me, that was usually with R-rated movies, and same with some of my other friends. And I remember we're like, we want to rent Nightmare on Elm Street four and Chucky. And uh, ooh, Apocalypse Now, and his dad's like, "You want to watch Apocalypse Now, sixth (laughs) grader? Cool!" And he just like gets us Apocalypse, and some of it just like washes past me. But like those napalm sequences are like, Jesus fucking Christ, how'd you do that? I think even today, that's still the most interesting part of the movie to me. Oh,
1: absolutely! (laughs) that, That
0: and the ending of like their. Is that really an animal being torn to shreds by uh, oh God, people? I always
1: forget about that part. And it is because he
0: was filming an actual native ritual right. in uh, the Philippines where the movie was filmed. The, I, I, how, how would we explain apocalypse now? I feel like I'm a bad person to do man, it.
3: Man, it's like Vietnam was like a
0: religious experience, man. <laughs> Well, it's a loose adaptation of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Mm -hmm. uh, About a man going to the jungle uh, to kill his predecessor or something like that. And they just adapt it to Vietnam. But I forget exactly how it works. Francis Ford Coppola's wife was filming everything. And even things that like... Oh, Francis, you're so dramatic. Like, it makes sense when you remember during the movie, it's like, no, this is his wife recording them, like, mm-hmm. in their right. house. So when yeah. he's like, I'll fucking kill myself. I will fucking kill myself if this movie goes over budget. He's having a tantrum like, you know, kind of any one of us would, but his wife is the director. So yeah. he's way more revealing in, in certain well, cases. Well, and
1: sometimes she's filming him secretly, too. Mm-hmm. So there are parts where I don't think he even knows he's on tape. True. True. Sometimes
3: you let the cocaine do the talking. Which <laughs> oh, He did
0: uh, at he, least once. He he did, and I I do I do love that about the film because this is like towards the end. This like he talks about pretentiousness, mm-hmm. and this whole time he's in the jungle ranting and raving like a lunatic. Look, I don't have the greatest body either, but there's certain people who shouldn't shouldn't be shirtless. The, <laughs> it was the mm-hmm. '70s, but he's like he looks insane.
1: He does. Yeah, and he
0: looks like he's on coke, and he's he's just talking all this fucking horseshit. But we'll get into a little more of that in a second because the details of Hearts of Darkness are amazing.
4: Nothing is so terrible as a pretentious movie. I mean, a movie that aspires for something really terrific and doesn't pull it off is shit, it's scum. And everyone will walk on it as such. And that's why poor filmmakers, in a way, that's their greatest horror, is to be pretentious. So here you are, on one hand, trying to aspire to really do something. On the other hand, you're not allowed to be pretentious. And finally you say, fuck it. I don't care if I'm pretentious or not pretentious or if I've done it or I haven't done it. All I know is that I am going to see this movie and that for me, it has to have some answers, and by answers, I don't mean just a punchline answer. This is
0: like half of his dialogue yeah. is like—it's
1: just no punctuation, just run-on sentences. They're
0: kind of like an out loud pondering of where the movie's supposed to go because everything breaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to like. I, do you have any favorite highlights from what went wrong in the filming of Apocalypse Now?
1: Oh God, personal I mean, favorites. Well, I love the fact that they didn't check monsoon season see when that shows yeah. up this and will be a common
0: theme weather yeah. in most of these productions
1: yeah I mean I feel like you probably could have done a little research <laughs> and figured that out maybe well, I, I
0: think remember they were that's the thing they shot for almost a full year that's worth true. of days incredible so like I'm sure they did check weather conditions mm. when they were filming with their original actor Harvey Keitel before they kicked him off before Marlon Brando was late as fuck or before Martin Sheen had a heart attack and had to the whole right. production right. had to close that. down um, I'm trying to think my, my favorite fucking scene mm-hmm. in Hearts of Darkness and again I, I wish I had more love for Apocalypse Now I know it's not a bad movie but it's just not it's like my dad's repeat viewing it's, it's his comfort film not mine mm-hmm. um, this movie for some reason it's from 1991 and like a lot of these movies had sort of disappeared due to like the weird rights involved mm-hmm. it's using some you heard some Doors music in there it's using footage yeah. from the film and again those, those napalm sequences this documentary, she's like, it's that's one of the most amazing things I've seen on film, and this film is just like, oh, I casually have other shots from other angles of this happening, uh, and it's an astonishing production. Francis Ford Coppola, well, one puts up way too much of the money himself. Oh, and he they,
1: mortgages his house.
0: They don't for talk it. about this. I think he said they said like up to thirty-six million dollars of like <laughs> nineteen seventy-eight money. Yeah, uh, of his own money. George Lucas was supposed to direct it. He had to back out for another little movie uh, you might remember from the seventies, um, and. They don't say it but like he put up all his own money.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: I think this movie should have made Francis Ford Coppola very very rich. It made about 200 million dollars at the domestic box office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he should have got most of that back but like the deal he struck with uh the president or whatever the fuck the it's not uh, Duterte what, Oh yeah I forgot of the, Philippines, of the Philippines yeah. Shooting in the Philippines for Vietnam and they make a deal with the military and my favorite scene is like uh, yeah, you got you give us a couple million dollars, and you can have free use of our military helicopters, but, as many as you want, yeah. as long as we don't need them. And then it's like out of Tropic Thunder. It's like up in the hills a mile uh, north, mm-hmm. the uh, communist rebels are fighting, and you just see, like, where are my helicopters going? Like, all the helicopters leave the set of, like, 200 people, like... With their hands in the air, as these helicopters fly away to do battle. <laughs> right, to yeah. do actual just battles. Just, oh, good. Just to be
1: like, hold on for a second. We just have to like fight this quick battle over here.
5: Hang just, on, we'll Francis. Be right back. We
0: need to use these for what they were made for. Yeah, Hang yeah. on, hang on. Uh, my other favorite scene is that opening of Martin Sheen, which has like been parodied all over the place.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, even if you haven't seen Apocalypse Now, you've seen like the guy uh, Saigon. Why did it have to be in Saigon? You've seen that parodied a billion times, but for some reason. Uh, Martin Sheen got hammered, and Cope was like, "Use it!" And like, <laughs> he just this scene is like him punching a mirror and getting bloody and having to be dragged off the set, pre heart attack, mm-hmm. which he's like, he's Martin Sheen was younger than me mm-hmm. in this movie and has a heart attack in the Philippines that's has to be like airlifted back to back to the goddamn states. But this is <laughs> this is Martin Oscar. said he want? I don't think Martin Sheen has won an Oscar. Maybe an Emmy for West Wing, uh, but him getting hammered on the set. Francis tried to stop it and he called for a doctor there was a nurse standing by and i said no let
6: it let it go i want to have this out
5: right here and now
6: it had to do with facing my worst enemy myself i was in a chaotic spiritual state inside a fucking idiot (laughs) that's (laughs) (laughs)
0: horrifying to watch No. Oh. Oh. He's covered in his own blood, like, for real.
1: Yeah, and we're watching it and kind of laughing because he looks like Bobby Moynihan doing Drunk (laughs) Uncle. He's got, like, the same hand. Like, you know, it's just... But it is... Intense too. Yeah. I mean I think we're laughing because it's almost too hard to watch. Yeah, you can I'll
3: definitely s- tell he's like an actor by how he yeah. gets drunk there.
1: It's like you know, sometimes you ever <laughs> like- <laughs> oh,
0: two beers oh fuckers. This it's is like- how an actor bleeds.
1: <laughs> it's like when you like I don't know if you ever did this as a little kid, but you'd be crying about something and then you would just go and- Look at yourself in the mirror to be like, is this what I look like when I cry? How can I be more dramatic about uh, it?
0: I have vague memories of like, <laughs> no one's coming to the room yet. Right, right. Let's like, Raise it an octave. Really get the, really get the parents' attention. Yeah. And my, now my cat does that to me. Fuck you, bonus cat. <laughs> I love that Kiki. Uh, my other favorite, like this thing has so many of my favorite parts. For a movie, I don't know that well. It's just, I just think it's amazing that Martin Sheen then has a heart attack. After he replaces Harvey Keitel, which for some reason there's no footage of Harvey Keitel in that documentary. So I imagine he's still salty about it. Yeah. Or at I least he like... was in 1991 when this documentary was assembled. Uh, and then they, they showed like shooting the boat scenes with like a double just so because like Martin Sheen has to recover from almost dying. And then I didn't – Lawrence Fishburne. Like, sorry. <laughs> like when Yeah. I think this works well in audio. But like, I don't know. I'm just noticing this with like all of my friends' kids now that like he's so young – In this clip that like he still talks like a kid.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I
0: mean, he's like literally, yeah, he's 14 14 years old. So he looks and sounds exactly like Lawrence Fishburne, Mm -hmm. but he's speaking like a 10 year old. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, uh, like, and he's just saying like ridiculous stuff. And like seeing this, the footage, like I always forget it's there and it always blows me the fuck away.
1: Marlon Brando has sent word that he will do the part of Kurtz. Brando has agreed to three weeks of shooting at a million dollars a week. Francis cinema $1 million advance. After auditioning dozens of actors, Harvey Keitel has been cast as Captain Willard. For the four-man boat crew who will take Willard upriver, Sam Bottoms will play Lance. Albert Hall, Chief. Frederick Forrest, Chef. And Larry Fishburne, age 14, will play Mr. Clean
4: thing's really fun. I mean, a war is fun. Shit. You can do anything you want to. That's why Vietnam must have been so much fun for the guys that were out there. I mean, like, I know this one dude who came back. Shit. And he's nothing but a dope smoker. And all he does is smoke dope. He said, Vietnam was the best thing they could have done for my ass.
0: It's just so it's, crazy to see. It seems like CG
3: when you see Lawrence yeah. Fishburne mm-hmm. this fucking young. I remember mm-hmm. watching and uh, thinking, like, Jesus, he looks like he's still in high school, but yeah. he's got to be 18 he, or something, right? How, <laughs> Apparently not.
0: Why did you need the 14 year old? <laughs> yeah, I guess that I'm perplexed. I guess like. to show how young, I don't know, we're a bunch of fucking young kids there. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, like, Jesus, did well, you really need an actual 14 year old? Yeah, and he's a teenager. Keep in mind, he probably had to spend significant amounts of time in the fucking Philippines. Right. right. With a fucking, like, tutor, like, on set somewhere <laughs> right. in, like, a weird little gondola. Like yeah. on, the, on the river the whole time. I'm sure
1: he was getting very tutored surrounded by coke-filled lunatics in the <laughs> Philippine jungle. Like,
0: And that's the, the most memorable part about the movie for most people is the end where you mm-hmm. meet not only Marlon Brando but Dust, uh, Dennis Hopper mm-hmm. and like the movie's just filled with shots of like Dennis Hopper being a fucking asshole. Yes. And Marlon Brando being the unique brand of asshole. He We will talk about him again in this episode of like a procrastinating, <laughs> like just does won't do anything you ask of him. <laughs> I swallowed a bug.
1: my,
5: it my favorite part. That was my
0: favorite
1: part. He's like just ad libbing like nonsense in these scenes. And then in the middle, he's like,
5: <laughs> I swallowed a bug. I mean, his, his description <laughs> of
0: it, like, uh, yeah Marlon the description was you are have been living in the jungle for uh, a year and you are gaunt and you have gained a shitload of weight since <laughs> I've last seen you uh, and he's like, like I had and I had no choice but to rewrite the script as a decadent man eating things given to him by <laughs> island natives and Marlon shows up and like I'm not doing that not doing that anything like he won't do anything he's supposed to. You just see him, like, you see him like rehearsing lines with extras and just like as there's like a crew with their hands on their hips like, fuck
1: oh, me. Not only that, like extras who had to be buried in the ground up to their neck yes. and just be there for like 12 hours at a time, yeah. which to me is unconscious. That's like, that's abuse.
0: That, like, that movie has crazy. to have a like a body count of some kind. Oh, some of these movies we'll talk about do. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they're, I mean, the way they talk about it, like, you know, we were paying them a dollar a day, but it was good for them. They liked it. They liked making a dollar a day. Yeah. And this
3: uh, reminds me, I wish I could remember the name of the movie, but you were talking about just what a pain in the ass it is to work with like Marlon Brando. But there is a film that he was in, I think that was filmed in Ireland. And I think they ended up like bankrupting a town in the process. And what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. I will look it up. But, um, (laughs) um, in similar ways to him being a pain in the ass here, I think like he just pulled this switcheroo and like shaved his head like right before they were about to film it. And I remember That's... that a director or somebody quoted as saying like, he, uh, "He walks out of the house and there he was, bald as a buzzard. He looked like a dick with ears."
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I can remember about the, the article. God damn it! Well, this is not the last we'll hear of Marlon Brando. I cannot recommend Hearts of Darkness enough. But we did mm-hmm. run into a weird problem where like it is now missing or unavailable on yeah. streaming services where it was clearly available a while ago. So I don't, He might have to resort to nefarious means because it didn't come out on, it's one of those movies that was kind of legendary if you were into films as a kid because it didn't come out on DVD until like the the mid 2000s because mm-hmm. of the, whatever rights involved. Yeah, I think to watch it, I think I had to get it on this service I'd never heard of called like Voodoo, Voodoo. and then the, pipe it through the Chromecast to the yeah, TV. The, the Walmart streaming service because everywhere else that it had it's like not available right now. Why yeah. why iOS why fucking Amazon it was the same case for everybody but Voodoo so go Walmart
1: I yeah I really liked I really really liked this documentary because we I mean I just saw Apocalypse Apocalypse Now like a couple of months ago mm-hmm. like for the first time it was just we were a dear- know, I don't, I
0: don't mean <laughs> to overshadow its significance like yeah. that movie was like Vietnam was so fresh in everybody's mind and uh, you get this uh-huh. like scathing critique that's adapting a classic novel it's pretty amazing <laughs> Objectively,
1: it is. It is. But I it's think just not it's a little, my thing. I think it's a little inaccessible. Its <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Plus, we are a deer hunter family, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's almost as bad. That movie, uh, thirty-minute wedding dance sequence. Love it. Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah. So, but watching this documentary shed a lot of light on it. Not necessarily like what does it all mean, but mm-hmm. just what everyone's headspace was like while they were making it. Mm-hmm. Kind of explains how it's just chaotic and like the movie fills me with anxiety and seeing how it's made it's like oh that makes sense because everyone (laughs) making this film is on coke and under um, so much stress on
0: coke they haven't had like a dry piece of clothing Mm -hmm. in like three Mm -hmm. weeks uh, and, and a little tiny Sofia Coppola you can see in the film. I like that too, but that, we have so many other, like, not so many other, a couple more, because like, I, I wanted to do a, a show on unmaking of documentaries, like, that show the unmaking of a film. This sort of counts because like, shit had to change because mm-hmm. of all the shit that went wrong. Uh, but when we get back, we will talk about a couple more of the greatest documentaries about making movies. We're talking once again about movies, and are you like me, and wonder, how did celebrities get their teeth so white and shiny? Well, I know that I upped my toothbrushing game I once I switched to an electric toothbrush, and you can too, just by going to tryquip.com slash lasertime, and you'll save 10 bucks on a replacement set of brush heads. See, the truth is, and I can admit to this, most of us have been brushing our teeth wrong. We're either brushing for not long enough, we forget to change our brush heads on time. There's a lot of brands out there that focus on selling you gimmicks rather than better brushing, but that's not what Quip does, baby. These Quip electric toothbrushes are all about the health over hype, and they're a hell of a lot cheaper than what you'll find in stores, starting at just 25 bucks. These Quip brushes have a built-in timer that helps you clean for the dentist recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. Even better, Quip's subscription plans are for your health, not just for your convenience, and they deliver new brush heads on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just 5 bucks, including... Including free worldwide shipping. Pretty cool, huh? Quip made Oprah's Olis. Yeah, they were named one of Time's Best Inventions, and they are the first subscription electric toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association. Aha! And remember, you can get started with your Quip electric toothbrush at just $25. And if you go to tryquip.com slash laser time, you'll get your first refill pack free. That's right. Save yourself 10 bucks by going to tricwip.com slash laser time.
2: Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the laser time crew? then we strongly encourage you to support this show on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the LazerTime network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. Went up to that retro lounge, and I had never played the Super NES Toy Story game before. Dude,
0: that thing is crazy. It's a, a different type of game every level
2: yeah uh we went in and they were like no no, no this game tim's it's like awesome. oh no, no, this game's so fun and i'm like no there's no way in hell this game is good or fun uh i i deny you any, any it's it's, it's of
0: because it. the first level sucks it's exactly what you think it is it's Put a the
2: toys there's a snake like, it's so yeah it's, okay, it's okay, a woody
0: it's a shitty floaty woody side scroller and then you just get into like <laughs> the driving rc pro m portions and the flying buzzard yeah. ears and, and the like, doom level where you find aliens
2: yeah and then like the third stage woody straight up has a bionic commando style like he throws his string out mm-hmm. and is swinging on things i'm like okay and then halfway through that third stage i am just riveted by this donkey kong country level platforming where i'm like every single jump i'm just like no 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 and <laughs> I left that room go like dude this game rules and I should have played it 20 years ago <laughs> get bonus time a weekly uncensored and commercial free podcast every Tuesday starting for just five dollars on patreon.com slash Is the world of today getting you down? Well, then why not check in on some of the good stuff that happened this week in movies, TV, games, and more 30, 20, and 10 years ago this very week with our show, 30, 20, 10. Here's a clip from 2008.
0: The next, <laughs> the next movie I think is even worse. Oh my God, like,
5: it's yes! so bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and for, for almost
1: a, fun bad, for almost.
0: A little boy, Chris, who like first started to like movies and like the manly old movies of Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, it's surprising they don't do more movies together. They should be at this point, they should be Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. Right. No one's going to finance well, a movie unless you're both in it.
3: <laughs> maybe, but I
1: mean, when they finally are together in heat, it's like such a great scene and it's such a big deal. And then they come together for this piece yeah. of crap. Oh, it's a real piece of garbage. Uh,
0: De Niro and Pacino, of course, with Curtis Jackson, Donnie Wahlberg, and Carla Gugino.
1: Curtis uh, Jackson,
0: is better Fitty, known
1: as Fitty. Sen. Fitty
0: in Righteous Kill.
1: I feel like you don't really see that often when two cops are the same age and they're partners. Yeah. Like it's they're like both a young yeah. They're both oh in their god.
0: late seventies right. and like definitely should have retired. Oh my god, you should
1: see them running; and it is <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> oh god! Robert De Niro is also fucking Carla Gugino mm. during during this, Jesus. and there oh. is a scene. There
0: are multiple generations between them. <laughs>
5: yeah.
1: There is a scene of her of him having sex with her. No. And he, he's making the Al Pacino face that's like ah! <laughs> No, I'm sorry, not Al Pacino, Robert De Niro.
0: Oh, like he's, the like the, the the puppet frown. The the <laughs> yes,
1: yes. I the, know exactly what you mean, Vicina. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> the parents. It does. When
0: Kermit the Frog is yes. confused. Yes. Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's making that face. It is terrible. But Robert De Niro said about Carla Gugino that she has sex with him so often. He's had to start peeing sitting down.
0: Is the owner of a dick? I don't understand.
1: I, would, I had to be um, like, babe. Is he saying that his sperm is so depleted? She turned him into a woman. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> she <laughs> broke your dick, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> like broke it in half. Your yeah. Pacino and your Fred Flintstone <laughs> about the same. Dude. <laughs> Jump into the
2: past with thirty twenty ten every Thursday on LasertimePodcast.com or iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Five, four,
5: three.
0: Coming in with some R.E.M. for good reason. Sammy, what was the name of that doc? Uh, or not the doc. The um, movie? Divine Rapture? Sweet. We still have one more movie that Marlon Brando fucking destroyed. <laughs> uh, like I think I was, when we, I did that research on what happened to Superman yeah. 1 and 2, and why. So one of the reasons they were fucked up is they were all going to shoot in Rome, and because Marlon Brando had a felony obscenity charge related to Last Tango in Paris. Uh,
5: mm-hmm. And
0: so they could, like, so the whole movie can't go to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Marlon. Uh but the, we're coming in with some REM. Do you know why? Hmm. Um this is the most recent one I can think of, but I I think this is what the uh modern streaming landscape will look like as far as my interests go. The recent documentary Jim and Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh Jim and Andy. Have you seen that one? No. Have you seen Man on the Moon? Yeah. And Jim Carrey's Man on the Moon. It is the opposite of exceptional. Sorry. No, it's not a terrible film. Mm-hmm. It's not a terrible film. Uh it's just Everything you'd expect a biopic to be. Yeah. A really good impression, kind of a fucking Hollywood cliche encapsulating a public figure's life. It's just not great. But Jim and Andy is so fucking rewarding. Uh it's I think it's Vice sitting down uh, to talk with Jim Carrey about uh his process of playing Andy Kaufman. Andy mm-hmm. Kaufman being the legendary fuck you or not the legendary um meta comedian
1: anti-artist. Don't <laughs> Yeah. Perform, I mean, performance artists. I've
0: always said, like, I love few things more than every Andy Kaufman documentary. Mm-hmm. The shit's awesome. Mm-hmm. If I was ever in the audience to experience sixty percent of that, I would be livid and Me I would too. hate him forever. Uh, but, but I love that he did it. And uh, Jim Carrey grew up fascinated with him. And I don't know what's going on with Jim Carrey. Uh, he he's now doing the talk show circuit promoting uh, the Kidding Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's. I, I love the guy. It's great to see him back. He's a f- really funny on talk shows, but like, didn't his girlfriend commit suicide mm-hmm. and uh, and he. For a little while, I was worried about him. and Yeah, was he in some anti-vaccine shit, too? Well, no, yeah, there, Everybody pegs him Jenny. for that, just oh, he okay. dated Jenny McCarthy. Gotcha. But, like, uh, no, Jim, Jim Carrey is pretty fucking woke, if you've seen his Twitter. Yeah. Or like,
1: any of his art. Yeah, he's, like, painting. And he does like very quickly. Protest art, you know, right? Yeah, he's doing things. He's doing a lot of but things. But
0: this trailer, here's a clip of the trailer of Jim and Andy. So this is, this is Jim Carrey's process, according to him.
4: When I heard I had the part... I was looking at the ocean, and that's the moment when Andy came back to make his movie. Hello. What happened after was out of my control.
6: Andy, that's enough, perfect.
4: I don't like it. I want to do one more. Andy felt it was necessary to stay in the character. He's exactly the way Andy was. It's was totally crazy. surreal. I got it. I got it. And this crazy melodrama started happening all over the place. Jimmy said they came down hard. Who's they? Universal didn't want the footage we took behind the scenes to surface so that people wouldn't think I was an asshole. Mm-hmm.
2: Andy, <laughs> you know, give me a chance to make a movie. I don't need to make a movie. I don't need to make a movie.
4: I was thinking... It's,
0: it's fucking... Oh,
1: my God.
2: Incredible.
0: And, and he does come off like an asshole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a scene with Jerry Lawler, the wrestler. And, like, you know, the movie's very... I love... There's a few things I love more than the documentary uh, I'm from Hollywood, about mm-hmm. about uh, Andy Kaufman's battle with Jerry Lawler um, in Memphis, Tennessee. I think I have seen that. It's, it's been a long time. It's fucking red. It's just an Andy Kaufman wrestling documentary. So Jerry Lawler plays himself in the movie, but Jim Carrey's in character is Andy Kaufman and belligerent and... Cruel to Jerry Lawler, like, oh, you me from Memphis, Tennessee, <laughs> 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 fucking redneck. This is soap. You use this on your body. <laughs> and like, dude, we did that on stage. Like, you and me were friends in real life, and you always called me Mr. Lawler and said you were a big fan, and now you're being... A- so they get in a fight on set. Wow. Uh, and like, there's a, a kind of a painful clip, because he's so in character, his on-screen dad comes into the dressing room and makes all of the makeup girls cry. Because they have an in-character interaction with one another that's like kind of painful to watch. And the David Bowie mu- music was just, just happened to be playing, so it makes it even greater.
4: I mean, if I want to choose to do something, you should support me.
2: I mean, I don't, I don't understand why you're always you know, negative. And you, you, you don't
4: Jerry Becker, who was playing my father at one point, went crazy suddenly. In the makeup trailer, started screaming at Andy as his father.
6: I'm angry because I
2: love you. I'm not angry because I want to try to not give you support. Too late! Too late!
5: All right,
1: fine. All right. <laughs> oh my That's god! Amazing. It's like everyone's collectively kind, of, collectively kind of you losing see it. Paul like, Giamatti, like Jesus yeah. Christ, what the yeah. fuck is
0: going on? And I don't. I know we talked about this about our comedian docs and. I do think it's fascinating. because it's half a documentary about this movie I was very much looking forward to, being a fan of Andy Kaufman and and knowing that being a big fan of Jim Carrey and knowing that Jim Carrey was a big fan of Andy Kaufman, um, and, and just I, but it's more of a documentary on Jim Carrey and like how he is now. Mm-hmm. And he, had, the, my favorite moment of the doc is him. He's, he's talking about I decided he's like I decided to go on Arsenio Hall and pretend to be drunk, and like totally commit to it. And I think he ends it by calling Arsenio like "you black bastard" and like passes (laughs) out on stage. And then he he goes back stage and he's like his manager, like, "Dude, it is over for you. How? Why would you fucking do that?" Like, he's like, like, he's like, "Wow, Andy did this every fucking day. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Every day he like laid his career on the line to do something weird. And I did it once, and I almost like lost all my representation." Um, and then and th- a lot of it's about Jim Carrey trying to figure out who he really is, or if anybody really knows who Jim is, because Jim Carrey is a guy who's always on fire, a mm-hmm. guy who's always entertaining people. And there's clearly some struggle in there to when he's talking as Beardo Zen Carrey, uh, <laughs> uh, but but like beyond that, because I do have like a, a, a definitive statement I can make about it now that I didn't make back then, because there's all these reviews like Jim Carrey looks like a fucking asshole mm-hmm. in this documentary. And I would say you're right. But but I think the, the behind the scenes, what it isn't super clear about is that uh, Andy Kaufman's wife is filming all of this. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure the goal was for Jim. Jim Carrey was trying to make a badass meta movie as Andy Kaufman behind the scenes. He's very rarely a shithead to people who aren't being paid more than him or the same amount. Like he's not a dick to... He's addicted to Paul Giamatti and the director, yeah, and Jerry Lawler. He's but not, not to the people, that not work to on the, the makeup movie. girls yeah. and stuff. Yeah. He's just like he's like mostly making <laughs> them laugh. And there's, I love the scene of him talking to Danny DeVito, and he's in character. He's like, "Yeah, I haven't seen uh, Jim in a long time," and he's as Tony Cliff, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I'm sad because he will get all the glory." <laughs> so it's like he's clearly making jokes as Jim Carrey yeah. while remaining in character because I think he thought we're gonna make this fucking awesome sub movie. And that never happened. And instead, it's pieced together to look like make him look like an asshole because of mm-hmm. who Zen Carey is now, right. explaining why he made what is a perfectly reasonable, kind of a fun idea, mm-hmm. a second movie on top of his other movie that was would have been directed by Andy Kaufman's wife, which is kind of a very Andy Kaufman thing to do.
1: Very mm-hmm. much so. Um,
0: but no, made him look like an asshole.
1: I mean, I don't think it has to be this way, but I think it often is that like uh, great artists are assholes. Like... <laughs> Can you really, I mean... If they would have
0: made a kick-ass documentary Mm -hmm. out of that behind the scenes, and like even if it was like kayfabe or fake, let's say, that would have been awesome. Mm -hmm. We would have loved that if it came out at the Mm -hmm. same time. That would have been amazing. We'd still be talking about that dumb movie, even though we're kind of talking about it now, but it took another 10 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can move on to to do another one, though. Um, You know, I did want to recommend a couple that I don't have time... Did you know... Did you remember the movie Empire of Dreams...
1: No. It's I've a Ken
0: Burns that. documentary that's two and a half to three hours on Star Wars. What? That is a made, of, well, it's only, the only thing that like, eh, it makes me worry about it, it's officially made by LucasArts, oh. but it's only on the 2004 Standard Definition DVD, <laughs> but it's like a great documentary.
1: It's three hours long. Yeah. Oh my god. Yes,
0: it's, it's. I mean, remember bonus features? They used to be really cool.
1: True. Um, and yeah. remember Ken Burns? He makes everything <laughs> super long. Yeah, that he does.
0: He's filmed
3: like one of his movies, like you'll hear the little clops of like horse hooves in the and background, like a, and it's like George biotic. scowled
0: at me today. He's a little a budget. Dearest Leia, I've been reassigned to Alderaan. <laughs> Surely things will go well here. Do a little
1: fiddle music in the background.
0: Yes. Uh. And but. And I really liked the clerks. X, that's the name of the DVD edition. It was called Clerks X. And the the funny thing about it was it's this two-hour feature-length documentary on the Clerks 10th anniversary edition DVD that cost five times as much as the Clerks movie. I think I remember seeing that. Yeah, because it's like (laughs) Clerks didn't even have the luxury of color. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, And this documentary did. So yeah, the documentary about the movie cost, it was like, I think they said Clerks is $27,000 and this is a $200,000 DVD special feature. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, that is that is out there uh, somewhere. I wanted to see if you, this is, see, I haven't seen all of Fitzcarraldo, but it's fucking crazy.
1: I've seen a lot of it. Yeah? I haven't seen it all, though. Certainly not all in one I mean, sitting. it's even a
0: tough movie to watch without knowing the behind-the-scenes yes. details. Oh,
1: no. but knowing the behind Behind-the-scene details, I think, is the only thing that makes it watchable, to be honest. So,
0: it's a a Werner Herzog-directed film Mm -hmm. starring his best friend, Klaus Kinski.
1: Slash worst enemy.
0: Slash worst enemy about a real-life rubber impresario (laughs) who decided to cut corners by breaking apart a gigantic ship and moving it over an island embankment. To avoid buying two ships, to like move a ship across a a giant ship, across a giant plot of land in the middle of South America with only the help of the natives and like mm-hmm. rolling wood logs. Mm-hmm. So this is a thing that happened in real life. And Vernon Herzog's like, well, for the authenticity of the film, we will do it all the exact same. So like, doesn't cut corners, makes a giant ass ship, gets a bunch of local natives to roll the ship across an island in the actual location. Mm-hmm. It's an insane venture that i don't know whether to shame or applaud had to be a death toll on that too there is there this movie is. absolutely has death tolls yeah and i couldn't find specific numbers which bums me out even more mm-hmm. because like i i think during i can't remember which documentary because i've seen both the documentaries about uh that feature footage from this but the natives offered Werner herzog like you know we kill Klaus Kinski if he keeps bothering you if you'd like us to do that <laughs> yeah, that's right. But he's refrained from killing my friend Klaus I need him to complete the production and I'm making fun of Werner but like this is he's amazing he's an awesome dude I yeah. love this guy Yeah, and he has two essentially two documentaries that cover this one film in addition to other films the first one is Burden of Dreams that came out in 1982 and, he, and so like Werner's not in Fitzcarraldo he's a mm-hmm. director he's behind the camera um and he's. This is just him talking about the jungle. You Rick and Morty fans will know him from talking about a penis. i never seen it fail to get a laugh. <laughs> I have so and so for a dick. <laughs> I
1: prefer Paul Tompkins.
0: <laughs> it's rendition, but it's always like he's now like a go-to. Th- like he was a. F- he's a villain in a Jack Reacher movie. Mm-hmm. He's uh. He was a voice in fucking Boondocks that was hilarious.
1: He was a. Realtor or land, landlord in uh, Parks and Rec.
0: Yeah, he's yes, he was. Did uh, he do that uh, bear guy movie that we watched? Yes, Grizzly okay. Man. Grizzly yeah. Man. And, and he, it's because he like tends to go back and forth from like documentary to. Mm-hmm. And this is though, He's just revisited in multiple forms uh in other documentaries. First is Burden of Dreams, and just his narration about the fucking jungle. Which, if you know PFT's impression.
1: Well, listening to I, I like I love listening to uh, Werner Herzog talk about nature. Yes, it's the that's best. That's why thing. I got this clip.
0: this yeah. might, I know this might bore some of you younger people, but I fucking love, I love this. It.
5: Of course, we are challenging nature itself, and it hits back. It just hits back. That's all, and that's grandiose about it. And we have to to accept that it is much stronger than we are. Kinsky always says it's full of. Erotic elements. I don't see so much erotic. I see it more full of obscenity. It's just, and nature here is vile and base. I wouldn't see anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and growing and just rotting away. Of course, there's a lot of misery. Oh.
0: Yeah, there's that, oh, like right to a clip of like him cutting up one of those beautiful rainbow, a par-
1: like a toucan or something, yeah. like rain- or something.
0: The, the rainbow parrots you always yeah. see, like <laughs> it just cut a, a native cutting it up and eating it. Uh, uh, but, and I also want to point out, you can laugh, but that English is Werner Herzog's second language.
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs>
0: Amazingly articulate in a language that's not his native one. Does
1: yeah. Werner Herzog hate nature? I kind of think so.
0: <laughs> just
1: to, I mean, because when in. Um, What's the documentary that we covered in thirty twenty ten 2010 where he's under the Arctic ice?
0: Oh, fuck. I don't remember. God,
1: I can't remember it now off the top of my head. But anyway, oh, it's something at the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he was talking about how like... My favorite line was him saying much like my celluloid I prefer not to be in the sun or I detest this the feeling of the sun on my skin and it's just like I'm pretty sure he hates nature.
0: And he his latest documentary is about internet culture so like Oof. I know this guy, this guy fucking rules and this and he has a, he made another documentary like 20 years later called My Best Friend mm-hmm. about Klaus Kinski who he he occasionally called his muse but like he's like I think he's like hating him. On the set in front of all the crew. Mm -hmm. And this is all all in German, but like, I guess I can only go off your reaction Mm -hmm. to it because this is just his, it's called My Best Friend, Werner's documentary about his friend, Klaus Kinski, who played the lead in Fitzcarraldo, just screaming his head off in front of the whole crew.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Count on it. He's verschlaw
5: dich, die verschlaw verlassen in Kostüm in deiner scheiß in Holland.
1: I'm pretty sure Klaus Kinski shot him.
0: No, I don't think so. He, he there's an awesome documentary where he's doing an interview and gets shot. Oh. For like no reason, and it may have been like a twenty-two or a bullet gun, but he right. like literally gets shot on camera. like, and he's like, it's just the meaningful nature of, oh, I have just been shot. Anyway, yeah. and like, <laughs> Jesus, dude,
1: <laughs> who Is shot it, him?
0: It, it never solved. Like, hmm. I want to say it was a BB gun, just because like who Why would shoot a random it person? Here, it's, yeah. in a, it's in, a, it's in, and it's an inner city LA. Yeah, yeah.
5: So like, oh, okay.
0: I don't. Not a lot of twenty twos floating around the crips. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, But that, that movie's amazing. Um, the one I don't like as much. Um, let me let me bounce over to a comedy one. Did you did any of you ever see American movie? Uh yeah, I yeah. do. Because this uh-huh. this is this counts. It's a movie about making a movie, even though that movie is seventeen minutes and a special feature on the DVD. I wanted to go back and watch this recently and I just couldn't remember the name of the goddamn movie. American the movie. movie. The story mm-hmm. of, of Mark and uh Mike Shink, that right Mike. <laughs> like just these just wonderfully Midwestern people who earnestly want to make a great horror movie. But in order to do so, they have to make this short film in order to make his dream a reality. And and just Mark's a Ernest, dude he's in over his head he's an amateur director and he's getting all his friends to help out and his passion is inspiring but he is a little out of his element
5: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's just
0: filled with adorable moments of him and his friends trying to make this film Here's a little clip from the trailer his whole life is making this one film you you have two
2: hours tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. and be an extra in a film you get your name on the credits man as a producer and of course there'll be a whole crowd of people here so we got to make like a line where people can't go have a hell of a lot of assistant directors saying hey hey could you step back like five feet I think my mom's gonna have to end up going out in the
4: woods. I had my shopping to do.
2: Okay, you gotta spread apart that way. All of the (laughs) extras have just fell through, except for Mike Shank right there.
6: We used to uh, do a lot of partying together, but I don't party anymore.
2: (laughs) Hey, Mike, make sure everyone has brown gloves. Does everyone
0: have brown gloves? No oh, dude,
1: dude. dude. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. Yeah. I forgot how much I love it's
0: this movie. It's so fucking cute and fun and and I don't know like it's still so fascinating. It's still so fascinating to watch this guy try and make do his best to try and make a movie with every resource he has.
3: Right. And I feel like I remember the title of the movie they never pronounce correctly, because I think it's like Coven, and they always say Coven. Coven. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> right. It's always Coven. <laughs> and there's the most memorable scene, and I can't remember exactly what was going on, but the guy kept keeps like hitting his head on I, like the cupboard or whatever. That is the highlight I grabbed for you. <laughs> oh, hey. thank you. Thank Cause, you. Cause, <laughs> it is the
0: funny because it's like his friend who's like he's in like the whole dock, like being super supportive of his yeah. friend Mark, and there's a fight sequence where he has to put his head through a cupboard door underneath the sink. But, um, it must not be scored properly to break away or something. It just looks really painful. Uh, the grip or the <laughs> uncle did his best to like make sure the door caves in, but like this scene is very visual. But it's like one of the funniest parts of the film. We're too early?
6: It is <laughs> a, a door that Steve Tom Shimmos is going to get his head put through. I uh put a few scores oh, in here really to uh lessen Great. the blow. Yeah. Um it, it, so okay, no. close to the Permanent damage done to him. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure he appreciates that. Sorry,
5: Sorry. you're all right? And actually <laughs> 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 oh, man!
2: Oh man, you alright?
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. What? Well this door opened up. Dude, you missed that scoring, man.
5: MOTHERFUCKER MOTHERFUCKER YOU CURRIE COLD! YOU Alright,
6: alright, hold on, hold on, man, hold on. Cut, 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 I think
5: i just Cut,
6: cut, cut.
2: Oh, dude. You know what? I'm sorry I tried to put your head in this, this is gonna be like, take
3: some shit. <laughs>
1: Oh my god. We're
3: going to give him a
0: concussion. We're going to have to spend half the movie at the emergency room. <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie was like super popular with people our age, but it made it's like the year 2000, I think yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard anything from these guys or seen any kind of follow-up, but I kind of would have loved to. But I do know if you're a fan of the movie Jet Li the one, uh Mark and Mike have a minor cameo mm-hmm. as as doctors who have like one line like Oh my God, like in, <laughs> in the Jet Li movie, the one, and I think they appeared in a Family Guy episode as themselves, oh, wow, but other than that, I don't, I don't know anything else they've ever been. I so want to go rewatch this now. Yeah, now it's, it's I can super cute, dude. Yeah. It's really funny. American movie, I know I have to say it again because people will assume I didn't say the name, even though I did, and they forgot it weren't paying attention because they didn't care yet. Mm. Sorry, this is a laser time Pull back behind the curtain. You never mm-hmm. said the name of the movie. I did three times, mm-hmm. but you didn't care until I said the other stuff. And instead of rewinding it, you accuse me of not saying it. Uh, it happens all the time. Do
1: your research, people. 30,
0: 20, 10 people. Um, but shit, where do I want to go here? Ooh, ooh, we were just talking about this one on Bonus Time with uh, Brett Elson that uh, I did last week. Um, this was fascinating because, like, it, it's the unmaking of a film. Mm-hmm. Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. And rumors had swirled. About what it was, because the bootleg had been circulating for a long time. Roger Corman's Fantastic Four movie from the early '90s—it was written about in magazines, and, and you could only see it if you went to like a Comic Con and found a bootleg. But the rumor was it was made to—it <laughs> was made so someone could hold onto the rights and therefore charge more for the an actual studio that wanted to buy it. Fox mm-hmm. uh, wanted to make a Fantastic Four movie, so they took one million dollars uh, and hired, none other than Schlockmaster Roger Corman, the guy who can bring in any movie under budget. And and he makes a movie uh, to essentially never be seen, but to help aid a rights battle in contract negotiation. Oh, wow. And it's a full-length movie, and it's got a crew, and a budget, and a score, and special effects, but it's made for $1 million. But I, I always say, we said I said it on that bonus time, I'll say it again, it is the best Fantastic Four movie that exists of the four. It oh. gets the characters right. It's if it came out, that's what I, if it came out in like 1979, I would have been obsessed with it. It would have been my favorite superhero team done adequately. But it came, but instead I saw it in 2000, so everybody makes fun of it. But the <laughs> thing's got the perfect brow, unlike his uh, fucking Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did confirm a couple things for people.
3: I've had a lot of strange experiences after all these years in the film business, but I have to say The Fantastic Four ranks somewhere near the top.
0: It's clobbering time. So, like, the thing there looks not bad for yeah. a movie that's never meant to be seen. Yeah. Um, it kind
1: of looks like the shape of water fish man, but with, like, leprosy. <laughs>
0: but it, what I love that this documentary exists, um, and, and why we got to see it, is that, like, The people it's this when the story is told the urban legend it's told as a super cynical thing but like the the actors and the writers and the directors like I did not know I was making a movie that was never going to be seen Mm. the the reality is that was the truth they were everything you heard about the movie is true. But this heartbreaking story of all these people who thought they were starring in a big budget Marvel movie that was going to be seen by everybody and maybe catapult their career, or some of them, some of the actors, like they've gone to Comic Cons because people like know them as the first Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. so and, and they've been going around talking to people who like the film for years. and It's this weird thing that has never had any kind of official release. Even in this movie, it's like not entirely widescreen or like uh, I don't know. There's no color treatment. Right. Like nothing's been nothing's been treated at all. Right. Um, it's been treated very poorly, and I would love to see a really good, I don't know, re, not remaster, but like a refined version of this original film. Uh, and that's that's the cute story, I think. of the, the, For the people who made the movie, it was a real experience, and it was something they were very much looking forward to and trying their best to make the best mm-hmm. version of. And that's the story that got lost over the 20 years of Urban Legends about the Fantastic Four movie. Oh. Um, shit, I meant to, let me look at this guy's name real quick. John Schnepp, I wanted to just give him a shout out, because he died uh, this year, uh, kind of Sudden, suddenly and unexpectedly, but um, he was the director and our, our host. He kind of Michael moore this unmaking of documentary with a confusing title, The Death of Superman Lives, Colon, What Happened. Uh, but it is about what happened to Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage's never produced Superman movie that mm-hmm. was, had the rug pulled out from it like weeks before they actually went into like real deal shoots. And it is fascinating. If you've loved, sup- like I, I was introduced to superheroes through the Superman, mo- Christopher Reeve movie. Yes, yeah. They were Same not here. And and Batman, and Adam West's Batman, they were not cheesy, they were fun, they were the coolest things I've ever seen, they got me into comics, and we were denied a Superman movie for about a decade. We didn't see him on screen, and there was all these talks that Tim Burton, the guy who did Batman right at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Batman Returns is an amazing film. First one is like jesus christ <laughs> sorry sorry but this is this this giant documentary with tim burton oh and if you'd never seen an evening with kevin smith he talked about doing a treatment of yes. the, the screenplay the giant metal spider story yeah yeah, yeah. that ended up in uh wild wild west eventually. oh my god uh-huh. and this is he comes back to talk about that but it's all about how far tim burton and nick cage got in this process and i i feel cruel saying it now but i'm going to say it again because it when I watch it, it makes me feel like Tim Burton is the biggest fucking
3: fraud <laughs> in the, Ooh, in the Yeah.
0: Who I, I deeply... He just made some of my favorite movies of all time. But there's... I want you guys to see this. This is visual. But this is Nick Cage and Tim Burton talking about the importance of Superman. But they like... It's like that Hollywood speak. Like... I know people are expecting us to talk, so we better do it. Uh. (laughs) We better sit here and talk, but like they're not actually saying anything.
3: Mm. You know, that character is such a bullseye that you have to hit. He's almost, you know, he's one of the most precious icons of our country. Um, And the fact that Tim and I were pretty far down the road designing it, and I know with Tim and where I was going to go, we would have done something really special. At least it's out there in the
0: ether that that could have happened, but it doesn't have to, we don't have to make the movie. It's still interesting to people. And, and I do want to applaud both. Tim Burton's just like in the dock, like talking about it mm-hmm. in his home like freely. Nick Cage, I think that's archived from somewhere else, but you can, during it, you can see all the, the costumes, which is something that had footage to John's credit had like, that was gone. Mm-hmm. No one had seen this before. What and year is this? This when did this doc come out? When was it filmed? Oh. I would say like somewhere somewhere in the mid nineties. Okay, because this is like just long in gestation. it's yeah. like Batman. Like we live in a, a multiplex world that's dominated by superhero films, but like it was Tim Burton's Batman that kind of got that started. Mm-hmm,
5: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Superman to, to definitely a, a slightly lesser extent because like the first one point five are good and the rest are kind of embarrassing. But right. like, know, there's still something fun about every Tim Burton produced Batman film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and it never got off the ground, but there's just these moments of like they show this concept art and like that they're gonna go in like Brainiac's lair and like they're out in space and like this looks gorgeous. And the the artist is like, here, here's the design Tim Burton gave me, and it looks like Don Hertzfeld stick figures. Like, <laughs> dude, this this is a circle with a line on it, and then you're the guy who does the Tim Burton art style because like he gave you nothing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he that's gave you nothing.
0: So, I, yeah, I do, I do still have some love for Tim Burton, which he can swander with a
1: he's doing Dumbo it, remake. He is doing it. You be careful, man. I want time.
0: racist crows. No. <laughs> well, how about
1: we switch you out for Lindsey Graham lookalike Michael Keaton? <laughs> have you seen him in that? He yeah. looks like he's yeah. cosplaying Lindsey Graham. Yeah. So it, kind of a racist crow. But this is a
0: long doc with a ton of information mm-hmm. about an unmade film. And, uh, like, speaking of unmade films... I absolutely have to mention this one.
4: Everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Yes! Nobody seems to be in control of anything. We can't make the film. Not the film you want to make.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no! Another director who I loved my entire life and modern day does more things to embarrass me, mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Gilliam. And I didn't know this until looking into it a little bit, that like he started... Way before there was like DVDs and laser discs, he started filming the behind the scenes of every one of his movies after his process with Brazil and Baron Munchausen because they were both films that were like, he makes Brazil and they're like, this will never see the light of day. And he had to steal it from the studio essentially like to get it out there and show it to critics Mm -hmm. because it was dead. Yeah. And then they released a bad cut of it. Uh, And then Baron Munchausen, a similar thing happened. So ever since then, like if you buy like 12 monkeys on DVD. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, he like has a crew there, like filming a making of doc before, like that was the standard thing to do. He's always had that. So in the movie Lost in La Mancha, he's got his behind the scenes crew filming the behind the scenes of the movie The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, a movie he has been trying to make since like mm-hmm. the late '80s.
1: Oh my God, I've I've been remember reading about this forever. Like
0: it's not over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not over yet. It's like it's it has undergone, and it like I look at it and like. Dude, you care too much about this movie. Because <laughs> it, they, like, they were trying to make a serious Don Quixote adaptation. Mm-hmm. And like, that's clearly quixotic, quixotic, whatever yeah. that fucking, they, like, don't do that. So they, they made a movie where a man from the present travels back in time to a man and meets a man who is or thinks he's Don Quixote mm-hmm. and has a friend, Sancho Penza. Uh, and that's, that's what the man who killed Don Quixote is about. And at this point in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, Johnny Depp is cast as the man Mm -hmm. from the present. And the actor who's cast as Don Quixote's name, I should have written down, but it doesn't matter much because he died in the middle of production. Oh, Oh, shit. Uh, Sandstorm in Spain knocked over all the sets. Uh, Funding was pulled out. So this documentary is the only thing you have that exists of like this weird Terry Gilliam, Johnny Depp movie that was coming out right after Fear and Loathing Las Vegas. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: But it, it, it doesn't... It didn't start there, and it didn't end there. Like, Heath Ledger might have been recast yep, uh, I remember <laughs> to that. play Johnny Depp's mm-hmm. part. Uh, and up to and including, like, I I read about this the other night. I just didn't take notes because I just like, holy shit, this is still happening. Because if you remember reading a couple of years ago, Amazon swooped in like, we're going to help him complete this movie. Mm-hmm. And it also, this is something I read a long time ago. If you look up the history of people who try and make movies about Don Quixote, mm-hmm. it is a cursed property. It
1: is a cursed mm-hmm. property. Like, literally, the only thing that I can remember, because we read Don Quixote and, like, Spanish class and I'm everything. Ever
0: shit, like The only thing
1: I can remember seeing, like, any sort of visual motion picture type representation of it mm-hmm. is from Wishbone. <laughs> I have like very, oh. very like vivid memories of remembering Wishbone so doing. So he did it.
0: it right the first time. Yeah. According to uh,
3: speaking of the curse part, are you saying a sandstorm knocked a large piece of equipment onto one of the lead actors, and
0: that's how? No, no. he, it? Got, oh, he, okay. he was it, like it cast an old man, and uh, and and he yeah. died. Okay. Like he just okay. died unexpectedly, but like in the middle of shooting. Like I, I think we should pause for a second and realize how. It's a miracle that doesn't happen more often. I know, I think about it's that all the time. It's technically rare that an actor, we did a whole show about it because it doesn't happen often when right. someone dies in the middle of shooting a film. You are mm. supremely unlucky and that pretty much defines Terry Gilliam uh, at this point because the movie's done.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: It stars Adam Driver and Jonathan Price, star Brazil, mm-hmm. uh, and Amazon dropped it and it can't find funding. Oh, and the producer who helped get the movie almost made in the 90s, successfully just sued Terry Gilliam as of like two months ago, he's fucked. It's well, fucked.
1: <laughs> plus, as long as Terry Gilliam keeps making public statements like he's been making in the past couple of <laughs> yeah. months, yeah, it's never going to happen. He's
0: an old man. That's that's the only excuse mm. I have for him. What? I can't expect nope. all old people to be unold. Uh, you it, expect it them to, read, the, to you. read
1: an article or anything. Or any, no, read a book. The something. world
0: is the way they knew it, and, <sighs> and why change now? He's lived this long; mm-hmm. he must be evolutionarily. He must be correct. Mm. Uh, but but this is the the tragedy here. Other than Terry Gilliam being an asshole, mm-hmm. uh, is this has a trailer. This has a poster. This is done, and it's it's screened at a festival, and no one knows if we'll ever see it. Wow! It's it's come this far over this many over decades it's... to go nowhere. But yeah. Lost in La Mancha, it's just not one of those great behind the scenes documentaries like almost all the shit I'm talking about like they don't really get any of that on screen whereas Mm -hmm. like Hearts of Darkness like the camera's there for everything that happens how was it received at that festival screening anyway I don't know I I actually should have looked into that but it's a Terry Gilliam movie so I'm gonna guess not well Uh, (laughs) not not many of his movies have been received very well Mm -hmm. in the last decade or so Mm -hmm. up to including movies that get flat out F's from people because of (laughs) the weird shit he pulls I cannot remember the name of the movie I'm thinking of but it's not relevant to this topic, is it? Oh, because we're talking about, what, unmaking of? Making of documentaries. And I only have two more for you. Because this, this one we talked about in greater detail in 302010. Mm-hmm. The doomed journey of Richard Stanley's island of Dr. Moreau. Mm. And I remember seeing this trailer in, like, 1997. I'm like, this movie looks fucking awesome. I can't <laughs> wait to see the island of Dr. Mur- Monroe, of Moreau. mm mm-hmm. Um, not knowing anything much about the actors or the behind the scenes. But Richard Stanley was like this English director who had just sort of rose to prominence by making these really hard sci-fi films that mostly I haven't seen like hardware or hard... I really want to see them because they look really cool, but like they didn't totally make a splash over here. But he gets his big shot in Hollywood because not only was Hollywood interested in adapting H.G. Wells' Island of Dr. Moreau, it was his favorite story. And every time it's been adapted, it's had to make tons of compromises and it's terrible. It's like, I'm going to make the ultimate Island of Dr. Monroe movie that's both faithful and a, a great movie that people want to watch. People read a script and like, this is great. We love your previous work. Here, here's all the money. I he. And, and this is how the documentary sort of starts. And he's like, and then I had to get Marlon Brando involved. Oh, and he's no. notoriously <laughs> difficult. So I did, the only thing you could think of, I resorted to... Witchcraft, And he just talks about, like, he casts spells and incantations. Oh my and they go into Marlon Brando. He's like, I love it. I'll do it. I'll do anything you, you want. I'll do it all. I'll do it all. And, like, it, it, like that is just, like, the tip of the iceberg. Because mm-hmm. in terms of, like, the footage that they have and the behind the scenes that they have and the participants in the documentary, I mean... Only the people who look really bad don't appear in the documentary. And the people who look really bad are Marlon Brando, who was dead by the time Mm. this was filmed, Mm. and Val Kilmer.
4: I the project, frankly.
5: There was some lunatic movie that's known as one of the worst films ever made.
2: Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer were there to mess with the film. As much as possible.
4: I've dealt with some very, very difficult actors in my life, but I have never, ever dealt with somebody like
0: Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> oh my it's
1: god. Like,
0: they probably had to put Tannis Root under his pillow or something. <laughs> yeah. to <keep> him <laughs> it's like, it's like so much worse and funnier than that. And and above all else, this movie is fucking terrible. Like irredeemably mm-hmm. terrible. Uh, but it be, thanks in part to this doc and some other things, it left a mark. Uh, it introduced us to that Val Kilmer is a fucking dick Yeah, mm-hmm. his star was did you see this? no I just know he's a dick He's he's he was a total dick and like I think the director Richard Stanley talks about we cast him he's, he's like on the rise he's a good looking dude he's a good actor we got Val Kilmer here in a, as our lead and he's like he asked me to fly to Tokyo where he's doing promotion for Batman Forever to meet him and Val Kilmer says like uh, I don't want to work that much in this film I don't want to be the character I'm cast as let me be the other character you want to be the Less the guy on screen, less so you work less on this yet another set. And I forgot to grab the location of it that mm-hmm. is destroyed by a hurricane oh, and God. somewhere in Southeast Asia. Uh, and and yeah, Val Kilmer's like at the last minute, like, yeah, recast me as his assistant. I don't want to be the main character anymore. And like, so he pulled the Brando this time. Well, and then <laughs> Brando did his typical beautiful, beautiful, it's just beautiful because everything you remember about this movie. Is Marlon Brando fucking off? Yeah, that they just had to put on screen for uh, this scene. It's I'm gonna wear a bucket on my head, bucket <laughs> on my head, and like he's wearing a bucket on his head. I think the character would look great with white face paint, so the character wears white face paint. He sees one of the the little guy on set, and he's like, I want him dressed just, just like me and in every single scene and like mini me is based on that South Park has a character <laughs> wow. based exactly on that that's all Marlon Brando fucking around in addition to like requiring an earpiece because he refused to learn his lines you had to like say it at him mm-hmm. as it was happening and Val Kilmer like immediately developed a hatred towards Richard Stanley And I, this, this just always this continues to get more fascinating okay. there, so he gets him successfully gets Richard Stanley fired And Richard Stanley, this is like his first big Hollywood break, and he, uh, he, they try and which one of you shepherded him to the plane, the small airport, to get him out of here? And it's like no one, like where is he? Like he disappeared into the jungle, Uh, (laughs) and then like the the documentary, like in the third act, like picks up and like, and then I was. Canoeing on my day off down this river I've never been on, and there's our former director is living on the on the water oh in my the God. jungle, uh, and like they all liked him, and so they started they uh, decided to since Island Doctor Monroe was I, I hate that I have to tell you this because the movie's fucking terrible is about Doctor Monroe who's splicing human and animal mm-hmm, DNA mm-hmm. Uh, and making these human uh, human animal hybrids uh, they get some of those costumes that obscure the face, and sneak him back into the movie. So Richard Stanley, against the wishes of John Frankenheimer, who was the director who was brought in to replace him, like he's in his own, he snuck back onto his own movie. And his scenes are in the fucking movie. Like like as this guy who wasn't allowed with it in like 50 feet of the set is in the final film. That's crazy. (laughs) It's it's called Lost Souls. I know you're going to ask me again. Lost Souls. (laughs) Uh it's a, it's one of the best examples of its type because like uh, Hearts of Darkness is I like better than Apocalypse Now but Apocalypse Now is an undeniably good well done mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. This is a terrible film. That was Faruza Balk by the way. Right. Talking about being and she's just such a fucking great sport in this documentary she's talking good. about how shitty it was. An awful experience and like I don't know. I've always, you know, I had a little crush on her when I was a teenager, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I loved *Return to Oz*. But she's like, she's more than willing to throw people under the bus, and like, I love this documentary is so much fun. That's awesome. And of course, the last documentary, which I had to get, grab clips for because mm-hmm. its trailer is the only thing that exists legally online anymore. Oh. And among the things it couldn't afford this this small movie uh, overnight. Is the uh, Blink One is a Blink One Eighty Two song, so they have an approximation. But Overnight is a documentary on Troy Duffy. Troy Duffy being the director, writer, mastermind behind the oh late '90s classic Boondock Saints. And let me let me play a little bit of the trailer for you. And Sam's seen this right? Yes.
3: From bartender to movie maker, Overnight. It's a story of the Hollywood dream come true. I hope to conquer
4: the world. cinderella is a bouncer from boston whose very first script yeah! landed him a million dollar deal with miramax films sudden,
2: overnight boom do you understand he was on the cover of usa today
0: it, it is an, an insane story on so many levels because it's the kind of thing that like hollywood makes up about itself but doesn't mm-hmm. really happen but it did because apparently let's say pulp fiction was such a fucking huge success Anybody who can write me a gritty, hit violent, cursy, edgy fucking teenagers and adults will love this thing. I'll do anything. And I'm trying to save the, the villain slash hero of the movie. It's just a villain, really. He's he's framed like the villain, but at this point, like, our hero is such an asshole. <laughs> he's it's terrible. Like, a terrible but, person. But so we'll get to him in a second. Uh, uh, maybe trigger warning for people out there because he's a terrible person. Yeah. Um... But like this is the deal he got: a guy who has never made a movie before, has never written a script before, writes a script about two Irish brothers who avenge justice on the crime world mm-hmm. uh, lethally. Uh, boondock Saints. And when I was a little kid, like not a little kid, a teenager, like this was cult as fuck. Like oh, yeah. everyone was talking about it, but every block, bu- blockbuster like locked it down as an exclusive, which is not something they did that often. Mm. Because it, it's violent subject matter, and it was pre-Columbine, right? No, I think this, uh, I
3: bl- well, I didn't see it till college, but I thought it came out right around the millennium.
0: Yeah, and it was, I mean, it was controversial. It's yeah. guys taking the law into their own hand and just indiscriminately killing mm-hmm. people they think are criminals. Nobody really wanted to touch it, so it was, there was like two versions at Blockbuster and they were always gone, so like everybody was dying to see this movie. Everybody was talking about it. But the deal they gave this guy, never, again, never a script, never directed a film. I'm trying to not say his name yet. Uh, (laughs) uh, They offer, he's working at a bouncer at a bar. So the film executive walks into that bar and is like, I'm going to buy, as part of this deal, I'll give you $300,000 to write and direct this movie that you never directed before. We'll finance it. I'm going to buy this bar for you Mm -hmm. and all your fuck-ass buddies who hang out in here and are semi-awful too. I'm going to pay them to uh, not only give your band a five-record five, rec- five record deal at Maverick Records, I'm going to pay them to like film you uh, and do this. I-, I think it was the studio money that caused this documentary to be made. Yeah, I feel like... Uh, but it's his friends who essentially turn on him. They're the ones filming him. Yeah. And uh, it's called Overnight, and it's about Troy Duffy, the director of Boondock Saints.
3: Yeah, and I feel like whoever um, scoped uh,
0: Entourage must have seen this documentary. Dude, it's... <laughs> I mean like I have made a ton of professional mistakes based on the ego, but nothing like this it's very trumpian
5: mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. he's
0: like overly confident for no reason. Yeah. And he even yeah. says like a couple times like man, you only get one shot of making your first Hollywood movie. No you don't. Nobody gets this <laughs> ever. Be a little more appreciative, be nicer to your friends, which he's not. I'm not paying you guys cuz you're not doing shit like and there you, you overall fucking Marlboro light smoking motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it's so annoyingly nineties that there's this fairy tale story of this guy who got was given everything he wanted. And fucking wasted it. Right. And there's like
3: competing interests uh, within himself going on at the time because his band is also, you know. Sucks. It sucks. (laughs) But they also, you know, had a record deal pretty much lined up.
0: um, Because of this. It was part of the deal. Yeah. I think they even changed the name from whatever it was to the Boondock Saints. They changed the band name from the Brood to Boondock Saints. Yeah. They quoted in the movie, it sold 690 copies. And (laughs) and then we were dumped, they were dumped from their, their label. But this, this is the pre-production. This guy, let's remember, fucking bar bouncer, has just... And they bought the bar for him uh, to run and own. And he's in pre-production. Never made a film before. And this is how he's calling producers at studios.
6: When should I start getting angry here? This is taking too fucking long. Everybody knows it's the best fucking project in Hollywood. Every fucking actor that reads, it goes, oh my Christ. I know, but like we, we, have, all the time. Sorry, we have two big demerits working against us. One is... We don't, we're not paying money. We got the best foot in the town, but we're not paying any dough. And then the second thing is, you're a first time director. They got to get with you. They got to get in a room with you, and you guys got to connect. You can also start, start spreading the rumor that I'm very fucking upset with William Morris and considering leaving. I got my contract limited to a year. What do we got left on that now? Six months. We got six months left. You tell them I'm in CAA in six months if they don't start moving on this shit. Okay. You know, we can we can fucking forget about it right now. First of all, I'm, I'm Hollywood's new hard on. Why isn't it? Why aren't they fucking giving that any credence? Second of all, you I know, mean, are we threatening as much as we can here? No, we're not. That's I
5: mean, we're why
0: I'm threatening The sound and visuals in this movie are fucking terrible, but it is. You cannot look away. Yeah, you can't look away from the trash fire going on. It's... Why
1: do, does anyone let it get that far? I mean, you'd have to see. Like,
0: well, I, I like I love, do yourself a favor, and I should have grabbed the, the quotes, read Roger Ebert's review on both Boondock Saints. Uh, if, <laughs> if you can get
3: that, you should totally read that. And, you read, and read it to me last night, it was amazing. Because
0: like, the, the review for Boondock Saints 2 is like they have these fucking wildly machis <laughs> masculine Mm Irishmen who are practically supermen with uh, artists with guns with no the only weakness they have are being confused with someone who is gay and like because the the movies are so bad oh they're so stupid and I didn't I didn't know why they were special bad until reading those reviews Mm because the movies are undeniably beautiful because he got a studio and a good cinematographer so Mm -hmm. some Mm -hmm. of the Scenes in both those films look great, so mm-hmm. like I, my whole life, thought I liked Boondock Saints until Boondock Saints 2, after 10 years. This guy doesn't work again after this, right? He gets to make Boondock Saints 2, and I'm watching, like, and it was just like where the whole world behind me turns black. I'm like,
5: it's terrible, yeah. mm-hmm. it always oh, yeah, it was is. terrible.
0: It was, it. and uh, yeah. when I
3: reflect, uh, reflected back on what was going on in Boondock Saints, just the the corniness, the um, Willem Dafoe acting like he's directing there like was fucking a fucking,
5: yeah, yeah. Oh all that shit,
3: the awkward racist joke in there, that scene with like Ron Jeremy, I think, <sighs> yep. was in it. Uh, it's and hilarious I, when you he, cast him and stuff. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> then when I saw this documentary and saw that this guy was the creator, I'm like, oh, it all fits. It makes it sense. All makes sense. He's
0: terrible. He's yeah. the douchiest douche that's ever douche. That's like the only guy on the planet that would have made that movie. And just like, I know I've squandered things in my life because of like shit I couldn't get over but nothing like this. This was a this is a meal ticket for you and all of your friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 to make it even worse like I just told you like how the movie ended up being discovered it screened in five theaters and found its legs long tail on DVD homeboy signed away his rights to anything but the theatrical gross. Right. So made Zero money. I think he eventually sued for
3: some undisclosed amount of money from the uh, uh, distributor. And he should Uh get
0: something because like if this shit made as much money as I think it did, Mm -hmm. but like he's been chasing it ever since. Like I know he, Boondock Saints 3 is a comic book because the the leads were Sean Patrick Flannery Mm -hmm. who at the time was a pretty big star and a relative unknown named Norman Reedus. Right who is now a fucking megastar. Mm-hmm. And none of neither of them will return to work with this guy again or be these characters. Oh, yeah. So he continued it in comics, and I was just looking at his IMDb like, what has he done? And it's like, all Boondock Saints horseshit. shit. And then like, oh, a new movie that's not Boondock Saints. It's called like The Bloodspoon Council. I'm like, what's it yeah. about? Two brothers who are vigilantes, who <laughs> avenge yeah. justice on criminals. Like, oh, back to the well then. Uh, but he clearly doesn't own as much of Boondock Saints, as he probably should, yeah. right? Uh, but it, it, it's a remarkable tale of like success going to somebody's head. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, um, and and part just, of what Roger Ebert pointed out in this doc, by the way, overnight the doc about the guy who made Boondock Saints was critically well received to like five times the degree of Boondock Saints One right. and Two because like it's it's fascinating that this guy. Got to do anything at all. I know he's such a dick, and even that in that
3: one clip that you just played, where mm. just that amazing like overconfidence, it kind of right. reminds me of like like that scene in uh, Boogie Nights where they're uh, trying to make the uh, get their record made. Yeah, and just listening to them talk about our shit is that good? Not Everybody us. wants us. We yeah, we've got the fucking
0: record deal. We just need the tapes, man. Give us the tapes. Is that in there, that was that was magic. <laughs> <laughs> the bad John C. Riley impression. No, it works. It works. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like this. Like, you will never in your life get a deal as good as this guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And he fucked it up by being an asshole. Yeah, and he got pissed off one Mr. Harvey Weinstein. And that's who is like, he is the Roger of Roger and me to overnight. Like, he's the guy you don't really see or hear from. You just see him on the phone. He instantly angers Harvey Weinstein, who, not unlike... The reports we're hearing about what he did to actresses, mm-hmm. he did to him. Like mm. he blackballed him and made sure nobody would touch this. Put it in a turnaround and like really cut. Kind of, yeah, blackballed him. But that's what that's a. He's the terrible hero of this film <laughs> because like this guy sucks. And I feel yeah. like if if we were in a world where Troy Duffy was on talk shows, uh, it just be it just be awful. And let's remember again like. He's paying his friends to make this documentary who totally turn on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and treats them like just horribly. absolutely horribly. He's such an asshole and like here's here's a clip of him talk. there. I just it all blows my fucking mind because I wish I could have told, like grabbed him by the shoulders like all of this will disappear in 10 years. <laughs> Nobody will ever get a deal like this again. You do everything anybody asks of you. Mm-hmm. So what you have now is a fucking five record deal there will be no records. And in a few <laughs> years, none. You'll, this will not be a business where you make money. You have a studio. You have fucking, you're staying in Keith Richards' apartment. You have the Dewey Brothers guy producing your album. <laughs> like, just do it. And this is him talking about, like, all these guys fucking suck. They don't realize how good we are. And that's another thing about it. that like, we don't get to see the a movie he might have made. Mm-hmm. But we do get to hear their music. It yeah, not
3: good. It's and not only not good, but it's uh, you know like like '90s rock music. Fucking during terrible. the death of like the '90s,
0: dude, rock. They, yeah. they are they are the band uh, that Adriana was trying to produce in The Sopranos. <laughs> Get out of our way! Stop being so gay! <laughs> like it's 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 like that bad. It is that fucking bad. And this is him talking. The pep talk he gives his band. By the way, he's got money from this. They don't and there's even scenes of them like showing them doing odd jobs and like asking for money it's like mm-hmm. you guys didn't do shit didn't, don't know how to do shit don't deserve shit it's like it's all incredible we're totally
6: on the run. these two guys can't fucking help us you know they, they're basically you know what we did right there we, they're basically two enemies of us <clears throat> that's what they are they're record companies they're boss we're not we're the only ones that have to have the nuts enough to stand up for what we believe in and do what we gotta do here it's not going to be fun. It's going to be a goddamn nightmare. We can only hope by the end of it that we got a good fucking product that we believe in. We shouldn't expect anything anymore. Because even though they're putting up a quarter of a million dollars, that's chicken feed to them, and look how fucking, look how Jewish they're being about it. Oh After it's all said and done, they got this great fucking album, they're going to go, see what we did for you? We were behind you. And all you're gonna want to do is chew their fucking faces off and go, you fucking cocksucker,
0: you fuck me every day. I hate you. I hate you all. Oh, it just gets,
5: makes my uh. fucking
0: skin crawl. You, the, admittedly, like you meet a lot of periphery LA douches, mm-hmm. like uh, people who pick up movies at festivals and like yeah. uh, record producers. And but like it is expertise, man. Like all these guys yeah. work in the business for a reason, and they're here to help you. And this is how you talk about them. Mm-hmm. These guys are fucking assholes They're like No you suck you yeah. suck so much. Kitty! no! God damn it, bonus cat. Yeah, cat. And th- this is an absolutely great
3: documentary to watch if you enjoy, like, hate watching anything. Because yeah. this guy is it, <laughs> just someone I just love to detest. I feel like I know someone like him in real life, but I can't figure I out who it feel is. feel like
0: it's me and you just don't want to say it to
5: myself. <laughs> <laughs> but it.
3: it's unfortunately, like, really difficult to locate. I couldn't find it. Our totally. friends from Recombine were able to get it for me, but it's not <laughs> not easy to come by, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it, Yeah, like, I remember I found it, I watched it for the first time on daily motion mm-hmm. it's not on DVD it's not streamable there's not even a clip of this film on YouTube because like it just kind of went under the radar and like it, it's wiki only cites it like I think Adam Carolla like like he gave it more like f- infamy because he's like this is the best movie the 2000s oh, show what yeah. a real asshole looks like <laughs> also women aren't funny right uh, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> make sure you throw that in
0: Uh <laughs> That was Adam Carolla who said that. Yeah, no, I know. Not Christopher from (laughs) Laser Time. I know. But this this is fascinating. Yeah. And I get douche chills because I didn't do anything really like this, but I was part of a California entertainment. And there's a couple of things like, dude, I should have been way cooler about that. I know I was frustrated. Mm -hmm. But that person was – their job was to be there to help and may have known something more than me. But how – I don't know. I recommend it to all young creatives. Like you're going to encounter – some suits you find you yourself getting angry at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there's always expertise to be learned by someone who's been doing something longer than you. And this guy, like, the overconfidence, the, the amount of confidence. And I, I, Roger Ebert wrote that. He's like, and the look on everyone's face is that they've been dealing with him being like this their whole lives. Right. And yeah. ho- are hoping to God, like, this, this finally pans out and we can kind of get away from him for a little bit. Yeah, but, I,
3: th- I think early in the uh, movie, he's even like, there's a scene where he's talking to his mom, just complaining about his dad, how his dad doesn't know shit. And all that. It, it's It's crazy. incredible,
0: and in it, his fucking '90s look, like his, yeah, he's wearing overalls yeah. throughout the yeah. whole thing, and it's just like it feels like it was made so long ago because everyone's smoking indoors, right? <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's like it's 15 years old, the film, uh, so it's really. not it's not that old, but that that is a. I don't know. That's one. I'm glad we can recommend it. I don't remember what made you want to watch it, but I'm glad. You were just talking about it one night. We were having a conversation. And it was so
3: compelling. I'm like, I have to
0: see this. It's mm-hmm. it's fucking great. It. it is a great cautionary tale for like brash creatives. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to ruffle every feather when you're in the, <laughs> right. when you finally get in the building. Yeah. It's such a cushy deal, man.
1: I mean, I think that there is this idea out there that like, uh, the suits are going to, they're just out to get you and they're out to like make their bottom line. They don't care about your art. And, I think that might be true. There may be some elements yeah, of but truth there's, there's in that, a, but this is obviously... There's a, a
0: mix of business, I can assure you. You don't want to take care of yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so default to people with the money who've done this for a long time. Right. Just a little bit. And then if you get more power and you think you're right, it'll eventually do something cool. But odds are, mm-hmm. if you're going to make something cool and people are willing to make it happen, like, fucking lean into that. Yeah. Jesus right. Christ. Not everybody's going to get this opportunity. And, you know, iPhones and the internet have decimated the film world anyway. And I don't think any of this is even possible. But, like, it it still does infuriate me that, like, this is Miramax throwing around millions of dollars. Harvey Weinstein throwing around millions of dollars to do nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To do nothing. Like, out of pettiness or, like, it's either, like, well, I lock this down so no one else can have it. And then I think it shifts to, like... This guy sucks, and I don't want him to work anywhere ever. (laughs) And I will keep him from working. Barred from the building at his own uh, uh, record company.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe they're just saving other people from having to deal with him. Yeah. Yeah. All of that.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I I find this any way you can. Um, The only thing, like, should I try and make this promise? Patrons. I'll try and put this up on Patreon. <laughs> this film up on Patreon is like no way to see it. Yeah, uh, but it is fucking overnight is excellent. There, I said it again, so you can't accuse me of not saying the name of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is it for our show. Let us know what we missed. Again, I didn't grab any clips from Empire of Dreams mm-hmm. uh, or the Clerks documentary, but there are some really, really fine documentaries uh, out there about singular films, and I, I do, I love that. And I missed it when we lost DVDs, but like every time I like flip on a streaming service and mm-hmm. like, that's like half of your original content on on Hulu is like, tell me how they made Big Brother magazine or something about the Evil Canio. Mm-hmm. It's all really cool docs. There's never been a better time for documentaries.
1: Well, one for a bonus round for Ooh. a me, documentary that is about the fake making of a movie. You could always check out room 237.
0: Dude, you totally mentioned that and I forgot to <laughs> grab any of that. Well,
1: it's funny because it's not it doesn't really go in line with, with the theme because it's really not a documentary about the making of a movie. It's actually
0: But it is about the in- the wildly <laughs> speculative yes. interpretation of a making of a movie probably
1: are not true but still yeah. so so compelling it's and so interesting compelling. like i love it it's so basically it's a documentary about um the shining mm-hmm. and they have like several quote unquote experts who believe that they have figured out some of this like very like intricate imagery you in don't the know shining. the subtext
0: of the shining i do and it's about the plight of the native americans no it's about how stanley kubrick is admitting he faked the moon yeah, landing yeah. like you're wrong you're wrong.
1: like
4: wow it's you guys are crazy crazy
1: and it's just it's the just the the watching the film is kind of crazy too because it's just The Shining with people talking over the scenes that they <laughs> think are important. Like, you know, there's a scene where they're in, like, one of the rooms and there's a, like, painting of a, you know, a, an elk or something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, see, if you look in the background, that elk stands for the devil or whatever. I can't remember. It's before. symbolic
0: of the loss of the frontier. And <laughs> yeah. Danny's wearing a rocket ship on his shirt, yes. which is <laughs> saying that uh, that Stanley Cooper was in cahoots with NASA the right, whole time. Right, exactly. Uh, it, it's... It is it's amazing. It's fascinating. I love it. It is amazing. That actually that actually on its DVD has a really, really good making of documentary. Mm. Let me see if I can find the clip real fast.
4: Okay. Oh, come on. What do you mean roll video? Seconds. We're killing ourselves out here and you're going to be ready. I am too. I'm staying so right by Should we play mood music? Tour.
5: No, I can't. Yeah,
4: but when Here. you came out like this, you said it just but We're sitting there because so they say, "Wait yeah. a minute," yeah. and then you say yeah. on the radio, "Go." When you Go. do it, you've got to look desperate, Charlie. You're just wasting
2: everybody's time. I can't even get this well, door open. Door open. Oh. You have- On the record, I got such a bollocking because they said, "Turn over," and they said, "Video rolling" and all that.
0: I, 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 I didn't they- grab the clip earlier, but it's one of my favorite introductions from Jack Nicholson because it's like, he's like twenty years old and has a beard. And like Stanley was a consummate professional. We got along great. <laughs> Shelly didn't have that. And then it just like cuts to like,
5: you fucking bitch! Yeah.
0: <laughs> ah, like just screaming his head off at Shelly Duvall. Remember there's, There's four people in this fucking movie.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of them is terrorized her. Like it is unconscionable what they did to her, like on the set and my olive oil. Yeah, my My olive oil. It's not good, (laughs) but I mean, Shining's one of my favorite movies of all time. So
0: let's know what we missed. Because if I don't know of more of these and didn't mention them, I I hope I did. Like in fact, every single Star Wars DVD, if you can still pick up the old standard, they have like these in depth making of. And, again, the big takeaway is, like, watch what happens when George Lucas says something stupid in a bunch of people's careers. You can see them all riding on what he's saying, and, like, they just their eyes get really big, and they don't know how to say, like, don't do that, George. But we got us this far. Oh, God, that sounds crazy. Yeah, maybe we should start the new Star Wars with the trade embargo. Sure. That seems like the way to go. Um, anyway, we have been... Laser Time, thank you so much. Uh dot is where you can find find all of our fine podcasts, like Video Game Apocalypse, our weekly video game podcast. Uh, we also have Thirty Twenty Ten, uh, which Sarah's on, which Hello. we look thirty, twenty, and ten years back to uh, back in time to that week of movies, news, TV, video games, and whatnot. And that's about to get real exciting because the movies and the TV and the games are all about to get real good. And the books, and the books in the news mm-hmm. uh, but that's and but if you want more from us and you want to keep us uh, support us keep us going maybe throw something in the tip jar patreon.com slash laser time is how we're supported it helps keep us in equipment pay our bills buy our food buy, our food, buy this cat scratching post yeah, it doesn't say,
1: appreciate
0: hopefully get a cat sitter
1: yeah <laughs> god damn it get toys for bonus cat
0: uh, and, and, and yeah we have a bunch of other things over there like uh, over 100 full-length commentaries uh, an exclusive show every week if you missed Brett Brett is on the previous episode of bonus time where we're talking a lot about Marvel stuff Spider-Man and Infinity War uh, 9-11 how about that how about that mm-hmm. for a tease and this show is executive produced by Jason Walsh and many other fine folks at patreon.com slash laser help support us why don't we close out with some boondocks music some boondocks saints music All that right. seems appropriate a little salute to Troy. Please don't yell at us at social media. Don't tell him we did this. <laughs> <laughs>